Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. I get the pleasure of introducing today's Summerfest guest. Kelly got uh, a fun opportunity. She was invited to uh, go preach at uh, Parkside Church, which is over by me in Anderson, Mount Washington. Um, So she's doing that, and we decided to uh, just invite someone who is near and dear to us, um, and uh, someone you may be familiar with. If not, his name is Chris Cox, and for a time, he was kind of our, our teaching minister, pastor here, whatever we were calling it at the time. Uh, but um, yeah, every, every week he would come and, and give us some goodness. Um, but by day, his, his main gig is kind of the, uh, the director of Back to Back Cincinnati, which is an awesome organization. He's one of our missions partners. They are one of our missions partners, um, particularly here in the city, and they do all kinds of awesome work. Um, Chris will probably talk some about that, but I mean, they do lots of stuff. They do like ESL, teaching, um, after-school programs. And one of the main things that I think we've directly benefited from is kind of the trauma-informed care um, teachings that they do. And a lot of our people have done that. Um, If you are interested in stuff like that, you're going to have more opportunities in the near future here. We're going to do that again and I think probably try to host one of those in some form or another. Um, But that being said... Uh, I'll just let Chris get into it. Um, Yeah, thanks so much for being here. It's going to be awesome. That's fun to be back and share a little bit um, about where God is taking me on my journey, and that's just really how I want this message to flow, is to be a conversation with you about what God's been having as a conversation with me and see how those things work and intertwine, hopefully you can gain something from it the way that I've been gaining something over time. But what I wanted to start with is just this journey. As as Dylan mentioned that Kelly is at Parkside Christian Church today, which is wild because the senior minister at Parkside was in sixth grade in a town in Xenia, Ohio, when I was a youth minister in Xenia, Ohio. And then he became a senior minister at Parkside, and he and I were having a conversation, and it it was the summer of 2020, we as ministers and, and leaders in the community, we're trying to gather conversations of what do we do in response to yet another um, broken narrative around racism in the country with the terms George Floyd and the life lost at the forefront. And I just had a moment where I gathered some of my closest friends who were leaders and just said, let's just jump on a Zoom call. Um, because it was also a pandemic, if you remember that, that we weren't allowed to actually be in each other's presence and process our emotions at the time, really difficult. We jumped on a conversation, and a few leaders in the city connected, and two of the people that connected the most deeply were Matt and Kelly. And she messaged me a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, one of the things that flowed out of that conversation was I now have a relationship with this gentleman, Fred Aduyoye, who leads this Reachable Reconciliation content, and Matt Robinson, and we meet really regularly. I didn't know anything about it. I was just set the Zoom call up. And then these relationships start, and then Matt 
invited Kelly to speak at his church today, and as I saw the publicity of it, I'm like, it's crazy how just an introduction a few years ago can lead to an opportunity that can expand relationships. And here's what I'll tell you up front. Parkside has a theological history that Kelly preaching today is a really big deal, like crazy big deal. So before we start, if you're cool with it, I would just like to pray over Kelly, who leads so well here, as she's in this place, just innovating on behalf of God in places that before might be like, wait, I'm allowed to learn from you? If you get what I mean by that? It's big things happening. So I just want to pray over her for a moment, if you're okay with that, as we start. Jesus, you write the best stories. So I just want to start this morning by asking you through your spirit to empower Kelly with every word that she is speaking to our friends at Parkside, that belief systems would be changed by the word that she brings, by the wisdom that she bestows, and by her presence as a woman in leadership striving to be like you. We just pray that you encourage her, allow her to feel the love that comes from Echo for her every day and every week, and anoint her words that they would be transformative today. It's in your name we pray, amen. We're gonna talk a little bit about what Dylan mentioned earlier about what we do at Back to Back, but I'm gonna get to that in a few minutes because it ties into the lesson of what God's been teaching me, which is simply this. Embracing grace in my life is counterintuitive to me. I want to work my way towards success. I am wired as a three on the Enneagram, if you're an Enneagram person, so I want to achieve. I want to win, win, win. Not because I'm just driven to like destroy others, I want the shiny thing at the end. I want to belong. I want to be the face of belonging. I want the medal. If I had grown up in a participation trophy generation, I would have felt really, really secure because I'm like, oh, I won, even though we lost all the games. I want to win at something because I want to achieve success, whether it's with my family, whether it's in a ministry environment. I still play in an old man soccer league, like an old, old man soccer league where we still run 120 yards for 90 minutes. It's nuts. And I want to win, but I also want to be recognized as part of the reason that we won. It's what I understand with my identity. So it's really hard for me to give myself grace in just about any context because when I don't win at a relationship or in life, my first response is to shame and guilt myself that if I had been better, this would not have happened. So grace is really counterintuitive to me. I don't know if you can resonate with that at all. That grace is counterintuitive to those of us who want to reform, we want to win, we want to help. It doesn't really matter how you describe your path in a story. When we lose control of the outcome, we often struggle with grace because we believe that we should have just been a little bit better and we wouldn't have had a painful outcome to begin with. The problem is that since the beginning of humanity, that has not been true of the story. The story of humanity was not written that humanity would be 
perfect, and that would identify us as one with God the Creator or find full satisfaction. All the way back to the first story of two trees in a garden. The first story starts with failure. It starts with access to everything, but yet a creator who would intentionally put a tree that says no on it. Do not touch. If you want perfection and you want easy perfection, you don't make that tree. That tree doesn't exist. There's not a no. There's just yes, 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 yes. Walk with me, name what you want with me, have eternity with me. But the invitation to choose is an invitation for God to love. I just want to start with that framework. That an invitation to choose in God's story is an invitation to love. But not an invitation necessarily for us to inherently love him. Again, Back to creation story. Loving God would be a steadfast, faithful trust in him that if he said no, I'll just adhere to no. I'll just go about naming all these really cool things that exist here. I'll go about adventuring and we'll go on forever. The tree is put in a garden to show God's steadfast love and grace for us as humans because the goal was never for us to exist in perfection The goal was always, if God is all-knowing, the goal was always for the sacrifice of Christ to overcome our lack of grace for ourselves and to adopt his grace for us. It's the plan from the beginning. So the first way we let ourselves off the hook of our past is to recognize we didn't screw up the story. The story has been in tension with good and evil since the beginning Because we cannot have love if there's never a choice. I can't know love if I'm forced into relationship. I can't know love without sacrifice. If the creator of all things never has to give anything up on my behalf, how do I really know he loves me? I go on that journey on a daily basis in my life. And as I was studying this idea of embracing grace, I tried to take myself back to when I first remembered feeling or experiencing grace and I ran into a problem I screwed up my entire childhood I just kept coming up with well and then there was that day and then there was that day and then there was that day and then you did this and then you broke this at home and then your dad had to do this and then your mom had to do that I'm like whoa I was just a terrible human but two stories stood out that I just want to share with you really really quickly the first that I remember experiencing and feeling grace was one day when I was working on a marathon gas station on the side of the AA highway. I grew up in Maysville, Kentucky. There's not a lot there. There's a lot of need for grace there. I grew up in it. And I had this job at this gas station. The owner was really driven by outcomes, and so I really always wanted to please him. So the cooler was always stocked when I was on staff. The trash was always put away um, when I was there. The register was always perfect when I was there because he would validate my need to achieve. He had this idea that it would be great for his son to not get paid but to come and have to work at Marathon with me on days because he wanted to teach him work ethic. So here's this young guy who has nothing to lose because he's not getting paid. He has no income built on this role whose dad owns the place that is then sent to work with me for six hours a day on a Saturday. And we were about the same age. He was 18, I was 16. 
he decided that the best thing he could contribute to the marathon station was to pull pranks on all the other employees throughout the day. That's pretty fun. I enjoyed the ride, but again, I'm an achiever. So if you want to pull a prank, I got to win with you. Prank number one. There was another guy who was about 21 years old that we used to hang out with, and now he's in this like role of kind of assistant manager at Marathon. And Bart, who is owner's son, decided that it would be fun right before the 4th of July to take a smoke bomb and to go put it in the cab of his truck. He was going to roll the windows down a little bit. Now you have to understand, our friend's truck did not have a bottom. There was cardboard underneath the pedals of the gas and the brake. Not a really great thing, right? It's a Fred Flintstone vehicle, right? Like, I mean, you could take the cardboard out and you could look through and see the ground. Maysville, Kentucky, ladies and gentlemen. Bad for driving. Good for smoke bomb having air and places to go out. My friend Bart was a smart prankster. And so he took this really mini little smoke bomb and he lit it and red smoke starts kind of just going through the truck. But it actually starts just coming out of the truck, like underneath. Just everywhere. There's just red smoke everywhere. Friend comes out, looks at his truck, and is like, what the did you do to my truck? Opens the doors, throws the smoke bomb out, no harm done. I'm like, wow, that was really impressive. That's a really smart prank. So I just took note of Bart and his skills at pranking. Next day, I walk out, and my car, which I valued very, very much, and was actually working at Marathon to pay off, and was taking care of the really big sound system in the trunk, because if you're in Maysville and you're going to cruise around Kmart parking lot on a Friday night, you better have a really good system in the trunk to be able to make sure that everyone in the city knows that you're there. And so I was paying for the sound system. I walk out and every box that had been used to bring product into the store was stashed in the cabin of my car everywhere. Like so there were, it was just filled with boxes. And Bart had managed to leave work early that day. So I got to spend the next hour like trying to figure out how he contorted all these boxes into my car and take them back out and then break them down because we had to break the boxes down before we give them. And so then my achiever is matching my like uh, human nature that is just rooted in anger. I just, that's kind of the emotion I go to. A lot of us will go to either like anger, contempt, fear, anxiety as our root. I go to anger. So I'm getting these boxes. I'm like, Smoke bomb. So I go grab a green smoke bomb, wait for the right moment the next day when Bart comes to work. He goes in to restock the cooler with all the drinks from the night before. I slide outside, grab his keys. I can't even remember the keys. He had one of those little orange Nautica, you know, like flotation devices. Do you remember when those were cool? Any of you? You like? I don't know where. Maysville, Kentucky. There's no place to float. But he's, just in case, the pond gets him. I walk outside. I unlock with a little beep his limited edition Grand Cherokee. Perfect condition, just given. Open the front door, light the smoke bomb. Close the door. I had not been a good apprentice. I didn't, I didn't create any, way, any place for the air to go. So it just like consumes. And then I see a spark. It's a little red spark. 
There weren't red sparks when he did it to our friend. Like, I just set this Cherokee on fire. So I open the door, grab the smoke bomb, throw it in a field. It's now smoking out there. Bart comes outside at just about that time, sees green smoke rolling out of his limited edition Grand Cherokee. And he looks and he's like, what have you done? And I'm like, I really don't know, but whatever it is you taught me, this one's on you. And he looked and he's like, did you set a smoke bomb off in my Grand Cherokee? And he pulls back to hit me. Right about that time, dad comes out. My boss. And he looks over and he's like, what is happening to your truck? I was like, Mr. Conway, it's my fault. I put a smoke bomb in thinking it was a prank. I'd seen someone else do it one time. And I set it in there. And I'm so sorry. By that point, we're recognizing that there's a green film all over the tan leather seats that I'm unsure if it's ever going to come off. And I'm like, I'm sure this is my last day working. Would you let, please let me at my last act, like, clean the Cherokee. And I'm at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, my father's going to kill me. We can't afford this vehicle. This is not going to come off. I'm going to have to pay for everything. And I can remember that owner, his name's Mike. Mike looked at me and said, mistakes happen. And you're going to kill me for mine? Mistakes happen. You and Bart just clean it up. Off the clock, right? Like, you, I'm done? No. I'll take care of the cooler while you boys clean this up. I got paid to clean up a mess that I made. And then when I offered to send it to, like, a detail shop, because we didn't get all of the green out. He's like, I'll take my check, pay for the detail. He's like, no, nah, I know a guy. And he makes a phone call, and then this guy comes out with a van with all this stuff in it. I'm like, what? I didn't even know these vans exist. Maysville, Kentucky. Never mentioned it again. I can remember that moment of thinking, whew, I deserved so much. I deserve so much pain. I deserve so much suffering. I deserve to lose my job. I deserve to lose my friendship. I deserve to lose all of this. But to have someone look at me and just say, mistakes happen, was the, the relief that washed over me was so powerful. It's when I recognized that the grace is free. It's a joy that comes from being given a free gift, not just any gift that you're getting. The second time that I remember receiving overwhelming grace, I was driving home after an all-night ski trip. I don't know if you've ever been on those when you were younger where they just make it really cheap if you want to ski overnight at like Perfect North. And so we were driving back after skiing overnight, so it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. We get back to this church where we had all parked our vehicles. My dad was waiting. He had not gone on the trip, but he's waiting in the parking lot, and he's like, hand me the keys. And I'm like, why? And he's like, it's, it's supposed to snow in the next hour. You're, you just turned 16 a month ago. I don't trust you driving your friend home in this weather. He's a good father in that moment. And I'm like, yeah, you're a jerk. No, I'm driving. I could be pretty intimidating at 16, and my dad had learned to figure out, like, let me learn my lessons on my own a little bit, and so he was just like, what do you mean? And I was like, it's not snowing yet. I can have him home and be home before it snows. Ready? Challenge accepted? And his response was, well, I have to trust you sometime. So he gives me the keys. I start driving, 
in our town, there's moments where like closer to the Ohio River, it seems like it would snow first before other places. I didn't live close to the river. My friend did. And as I was driving around this big curve, all of a sudden, there's this white powder on the ground. I've never driven in this white powder before. And so my little Chevy Cavalier starts spinning out of control. You know I was going really slow when I hit that curve too, right? Uh, just turned 16. And so as it starts going out, I start looking. I'm like, oh, I grew up on a farm. I'm like, oh, I know what this is. This is a fishtail. We do this all the time. So I start cutting back into it, trying to think. Uh, my, my best friend decides to throw my, like, stick into neutral. And so I'm pushing the gas to try to pull it out. It's not doing anything. It's like, getting louder. And we're just kind of sliding and sliding and sliding. And as we're sliding, I look at him and I'm like, it won't go. He's like, I put it in neutral. Oh, by the way, my sister, who was 18 months younger than I, had fallen asleep in the back seat. She woke up to this. So she's just screaming like, ah! And we're yelling at each other. I finally like straighten it out. And as I straighten it out, it just kind of like has this little slow motion slide. And I look over and I'm like, oh, there's a ravine. And then, boom, we hit the guardrail. Smashes up my front end. We get back into drive pretty quickly because there was a semi-truck coming this way toward us. And so we put it in drive. Get back over in our lane. I can hear it's like, I'm like, okay, there's not a tire up there anymore. We're only like 2,000 feet from my friend's house. So I like pull into his driveway. He comes out, looks at the car looks at us, everybody okay? I'm like, yeah, can I call my dad? This was back before we had phones in our pockets. And I call my dad, my dad shows up. And again, I'm just angry, looking at it going, I ruined the car, this is my first car. He said I shouldn't drive. He's gonna, he's gonna, mm, he's gonna. My dad walks over to me and he's like, son, you did the best you could and you shouldn't be here. I'm like, what do you mean I shouldn't be here? Like, they put that guardrail in three days ago. At that particular part off the road where I, like, my friend grew up, you can actually look over the ravine, and there's some old pictures of it. There's actually a car from the 70s that is, like, going straight up. Like, the nose of it is in the ground, and it goes straight up and down. Kind of like a historic Maysville thing. There was no guardrail until three days before, and I remember in that moment thinking, I should. I shouldn't be here. Like that, this happens three days after a guardrail gets put up. I tell you those first two stories because for me, I, I think in story a lot. I learn in story a lot. But I also have figured out that that is the way that I like to interweave grace and truth. That we've been invited in the kingdom of God to actually walk a pathway of grace but God needed to put some guardrails of truth up for us or we would go over the side all the time and the consequences would be devastating. And I actually think this is what he is saying in John chapter one. Here's my thought is that embracing the gift of God's grace for myself transforms my heart towards those around me. So many times I try to do a works-based grace method where I try to give grace to others out of my work, out of my effort of like, I just have to forgive them. When in reality, what God is asking me is to wake up every morning and accept his grace for me. And out of the overflow of his grace for me, I'll be able to give grace to others. It's not the other way around. 
I won't be more willing to accept grace the better I am at giving grace to others. I'll actually become better at giving grace when I become really great at receiving grace. And I think that's the problem with humanity. I know it's the problem with me. Because I have to give up control and I have to become the recipient. And that feels weak. But in God's story, that's where the greatest strength comes from. He says... In John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from a father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about. He's mentioning John the Baptist here. This is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. We're going to come back to that spot. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Here's the point. That God's grace and truth are intertwined in his steadfast love, which is the Hebrew word has said, and his faithfulness, which is the Hebrew, Hebrew uh, word emet. In this passage of John 1, if you take all of Genesis and Exodus up to chapter 34, the gospel of John pretty much condenses Genesis 1 through Exodus 34 in 16 or 18 verses. It's pretty wild. You can almost have a dialogue. Genesis 1 starts within the beginning, right? John 1 starts within the beginning. But John is actually trying to bring an audience that would have grown, grown up knowing this old covenant. They would have known in the beginning God created, right? Like they, that story would have been told over and over and over. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It was unformed and there was darkness and then the Lord spoke light into it. And then John comes in in, in in verse one and is just like, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was with God fully in the beginning. And people are like, wait a minute, what does that mean? Because we know that God was in the beginning creating things. No, it was the word that was creating things. And then he says, and the word entered the darkness as light and, and the darkness has never overcome it. So he's He's painting this picture of going, hey, you've heard it said, which is what Jesus would always do. You've heard it said that this thing was just spoken into existence. But I say to you, the presence of who Jesus was in the speaking of this into existence is not about a physical place being spoken into existence. It's about a belief system that's being spoken into existence. The word, the guardrails, the truth were in the beginning being set up so that we could walk a path of grace from the beginning. And when that path felt dark, the light will enter into it and the darkness will never overcome that light. So here's your path. Walk with the light through the journey of darkness and when you feel like you're about to go over the edge, find the guardrail. And that the Old Testament law is actually the truth. This is the emet of the Old Testament. If you look that word up, it means truth in the Old Testament. And it comes up over a hundred times throughout of illustrating God's steadfast steadiness to what he has promised always being true. So you can test him. The guardrail won't break. 
That's what he's saying. All the way throughout history. So John's readopting that word, and he's like, he came with truth, with these guardrails. But then he says he came with grace on top of the grace already given. And this is where I just want us just to sit down in because I think this is what changes our life. In the old covenant, we often see this is the place of law and boundary and truth. We focus on it maybe a little too much. Have you ever noticed that no one is ever asked to put the Beatitudes in the front lawns of schools? It's pretty interesting. Because that's kind of Jesus 10. It's a little less than that, but he's like, blessed are the. I mean, I feel like that's kind of what, if my, if my kid's walking into a building, I would love them to know that here, blessed are the meek. Here, blessed are the poor in spirit. I don't know about your children or you as a child, but if you start the conversation with do not, it usually ends up in a, in a confrontation. But it's really interesting because we've reframed the old covenant with an idea of it's the law which are the do nots of the story. Except that the old covenant is a story full of grace. I know as a church, this church just walked through a story of Exodus. And in Exodus 34, it says this, so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. And you remember the first ones? He got the commandments. He went down the mountain. The first Chick-fil-A cow was there. He said, eat more chicken. He got so upset about that. I'm just kidding on that part. But that would be amazing if it did. Moses gets so frustrated that he goes up to speak with God. He gets the word from the Lord. He comes back down and he sees that he's been gone long enough for us to worship a golden cow and to revert back to cultural belief systems. And he breaks the Ten Commandments he gets so upset, and then he returns back up to the mountain, and he and God end up having this dialogue about what we should do about humanity. And God is never in this dialogue really just ready to wipe everything out. The more that you read into it, God just keeps like propositioning Moses of like, I could. I mean, I could. You, you say the word. You tell me that you're done with all these people, and I can just like, I can just end it all, and I'll just start over with you. And Moses finds his understanding of grace being on a mountain in response to his anger. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. They're a mess, but they're my mess. You promised to deliver us. And he just starts reclaiming the amet of God. He reclaims the truth. You promised never to get up. You promised to be steadfast. You promised. God's like, you're finally getting it. What do you want from me? And Moses is like, I want to see your face. Be present with me. And so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud, still not standing fully present with him, and stood there with him, proclaimed his name the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming. This is what God proclaimed about himself. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, has said, and faithfulness, amen, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Here's the difference. The grace upon grace that John is talking about in John 1 changes that last part. This is what he's trying to make sure that we know as believers in Christ. That the yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children. So there was grace in the old covenant. 
He's going to be steadfast. He's going to show his righteousness. But there's always going to be a sacrifice in the story of God. And in the old covenant, he's just like, yeah, but the guilty and this generational sin, for us understanding grace, our relationship with believing the generational sin is keeping us from being the freed humans that we are is an old covenant mindset. Because John says he brought grace on top of grace already bestowed. Who's the sacrifice in the new story? It's the God who actually showed up for the first time, fully human, and looked man in the eye. His name is Jesus, and he's willing to take our guilt and shame so that we can receive the grace on top of the grace already given. But we have to remember these three things. First, grace is a free gift that brings joy. Because the word for grace simply means a gift that brings joy. So many times we misuse this term. We're just like, by the grace of God. I'm like, the, God's grace did not help you catch that foul ball at a baseball game. But grace did, right? It's a gift that brings you joy. It's a great, like, sure, you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't do something to win it. We were at the Gold Cup recently for soccer, and some guy tried to sneak out with one of the game balls under his shirt because he thought, It's by God's grace that they kicked it into the sands. It's a joy that brings gift. So it's not just a joy that is a free gift, but it is a joy that is a free gift that transforms or saves my life. That's the grace of God. That's what I'm inviting you to wrestle with this morning. At Back to Back Cincinnati, we spend a lot of our time in hard stories where truth doesn't feel fair. One young man that we've been spending the last two and a half years with has been facing criminal charges for two and a half years now. His case keeps getting continued, new evidence keeps getting found. He was 15 when we started working with him. At 15, we did not even think that what he was accused of doing he had done even though he was there. But it just kept going. But the others in the story, because his case kept going and because our coaches were involved, they believed that he must be snitching on the story or else he would have been convicted because they tried to put it on him. So at 15 and a half, these guys tried to take justice into their own hand and they drove by and they put weapons out of the car and they shot at my friend to protect him. We'll just call him Jalen. Jalen took a gunshot into his knee. And we went to visit him. We got crutches. We moved a mattress into the front room. We got food for mom. We had a conversation. Well, man, he's just lucky to be alive that the shrapnel came up off the sidewalk and hit him in the knee and didn't hit somewhere else. At that point, Jalen was just like, I just want all this to be over. Why does this keep happening to me? Why am I still part of this? Case keeps going and going. A year later, because the case is still going, and it looks like he's going to get off, another drive-by. This time, Jalen gets his arm up just in time, and a bullet comes through and hits the button on his coat and deflects from here to here, but he loses his left eye and his ear. The injustice of that is overwhelming to us. 
The only thing we can control it back to back is to just show up. Because we believe that in response to God's grace for us, he just keeps showing up for us so we can just show up for other people. So we have a coach, his name is Onus, and Onus just shows up at Jalen's house. After the second shooting, and, and Jalen has left the hospital, he's back home. He has no long, like, short-term memory. He can't, he can't even remember that he's been shot sometimes. Like, he's just lost the memory of what just happened over and over. So he keeps having the same discussion over and over. But then he looks at Onus one time, and he's like, Onus, why do these things keep happening to me? And Onus's response to Jalen was this. I don't know. It's not fair. But I know truth, and I know that inside truth, we can find peace in the middle of your chaos. And so if you're okay, I'd like to tell you about him. And he tells Jalen about peace in the name of Jesus. And Jalen says, whatever that is, I need that. Because I can't move forward without peace. I can't move forward without grace. I can't move forward without justice. And so Onus has been taking Jalen to a church just about every weekend since then when Jalen is ready to go. Because grace happens in the middle of the path when the cars are going out of control. Grace happens in the middle of our story when things that are happening on our street that just don't make any sense. Grace happens when we're guilty of wrongdoing. Grace happens when we were at the wrong place at the wrong time and we got tied to the wrong people. Grace happens when the whole room feels dark and we need someone to turn on the light. That's when grace happens. As we finish this time together, and Dylan's going to play for our communion, because as we consider the gift that is grace upon grace, I would just ask you, are you willing to give up the vulnerability that it takes for God to control the grace and for it to be from him for you before you adopt the mission of giving grace to everyone else? Because that's where I live in every moment and I wrestle with. I want to give grace away. But I feel like it would be unfair for me to take any for myself. That that would be selfish. That Jalen deserves it all. But here's the story of God. He came with grace abounding. Like it's an overflowing cup. His body and his blood are broken and poured out eternally so that we can be with him forever. So the invitation is to accept. I'm gonna pray. Dylan's gonna play and the communion emblems will be over on the side. If you would like to take of these in remembrance of the gift that was free, that saves, that you don't have anything to do with. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to earn it. Jesus, I just pray that that's true for me this morning, that I'll just accept it again. That I'll embrace your grace as abounding, as steadfast, as faithful, and then I will give away what I've been willing to take in. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio. 
just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.